What's up, bitches? This is Sierra. And what's up, bitches? This is Morgan. And this is, is Bitches and Murders. Murders. What is that now? Like six? Five? I don't something? Know. I don't know. I lost count, but we're killing it. Yeah, we're doing the damn killing thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do we have any housekeeping? I don't think we do. Oh, we do. We do. We have. Do we already say the the Patreon things? We did the Patreons. We did the spooky codes. Yeah. Stay spooky. Never get murdered. Dot com. Stay spooky. Have. Fifty. I yeah. lied. To put in the right thing. For Don't listen to me. Fifty percent off your entire order, which is bonkers. Yeah, I guess you're right. I think that was all the housekeeping. Yeah. I'm behind. Right. It's, cool. fine. it's fine. Oh. One housekeeping thing that I remembered uh, that's important to note is that we're recording on our own for the very first time. Woo! We have microphones and pop filters and we're still missing a lot of things. So please follow our Patreon so we can get those things. But uh, the it's good. The good news is that Engineer Charles no longer has to cower in the corner <laughs> while we talk about horrible, horrific things. That for hours on end. Oh, poor Charles. <laughs> so, um, I guess the only housekeeping, like, I think, like, I put on our social media, we're trying our best to get episodes out to you guys, but it is currently Sunday. I am having surgery tomorrow. Morgan is having surgery on Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> so, like, we're trying our best, but please be patient with us. Um, and because we're in a new recording spot, if you hear any weird noises, it's my dog. He's really, really, really needy, and he's kind of an attention whore. Actually, no, he's 300% attention whore. And also, you know, first recording, working out the kinks, all those things. Yeah. Don't judge us. But we're not being attacked by a trash panda anymore. Yeah, but there's no raccoon this time, so you can <laughs> finally stop here us talking about the damn raccoon. Yeah. So, are you ready? I'm ready. Are I'm, you? I have my ready hat on. All right. We're going to go to the summer of, of 69, just kidding. Oh, uh, I had The hopes. summer of 1975. Oh, that's so exciting. we're bringing it way home uh, to the VA hospital in Ann Arbor. That's, that's too close. <laughs> that's too close. Too close for so comfort. Uh, so, in the summer of 1975, there was a string of really bizarre respiratory arrests. Um, and this is the part where I will give the precursor where I have worked in the medical field since 2013. So Morgan's going to yell at me if I'm using too big of words. Yes, that is um, what I'm here for. I will try to keep this as not super medical as possible, but unfortunately it's a very medically based case. So so deal with it. I make no promises. Sorry, not sorry. So... I'm not going to go through all of the victims. I'm just going to go through a couple of them so you can get an idea of what exactly was happening. Uh, so the first one that we had was Leonard Meadows, uh, and he was hospitalized post-operatively for having a mass removed from his lungs. Uh, oof. The, yeah, big oof. <laughs> oh, no thanks. Uh, the doctor said that he was doing really well post-op, and they expected a full recovery. Unexpectedly, he went into respiratory arrest and a code 7 was called. Uh, which, for those that don't know, a code 7 is when somebody is going into, like, major respiratory arrest, and they are, like, 
it, they're coding. Like they're they're going out. Like their heart's going. <laughs> they can't die. breathe on their own. They are trying it. They're trying <laughs> they're, it. They're giving it. Um. So a code seven was called on him, and he was intubated and put onto a ventilator. Uh, within two oh. to three minutes, he started responding to resuscitation efforts, and his color returned. So, for those who are unfamiliar with medical nonsense and er, res bleh, resuscitation efforts, it is so abnormal for a patient to respond within two to three minutes. Yeah, I was going to say that's <laughs> super. Um, especially for a respiratory arrest, you're usually looking at about eight to ten minutes, even if they respond to your efforts at all. Right, which isn't so, really that common. Two to three is a really small, really abnormal window. Um, and the other really abnormal thing about him coding was that, like, he had no underlying illness to cause the arrest. Like, so they were just like, yeah, that should have been routine, and yeah, he just like, like he keeled over like that. Like he was post-op, but he had no complications during surgery. He had a really right. uneventful recovery. There's no reason he should have coded. Um, what was also abnormal was that he had a really strong carotid pulses. So for those that don't know, your carotid is uh, the vein that runs, I'm sorry, the artery that runs in your neck um, opposite of your jugular vein. Right. So having really strong pulses while you're coding is not normal Yeah, because usually all. your heart isn't doing the thing. Right, exactly. Um, the other really weird thing was that there was no spasms or gagging during the intubation process. Um, which shows he wasn't resisting it. Right. Which, like, his, like, his muscles weren't responsive to them intubating him at all. Which... So was he, like, paralyzed? We're gonna get to that. Okay, I can't um, wait. <laughs> so the next day, the tube was removed and he was stable and he had no issues. He was breathing on his own. He was able to eat and drink normally as well as walk around a little bit later that day. Um, but that evening he coded again and presented the exact same way, um, which is a weird... Very weird. Because usually... So if you're going to code because your body's trying to give up on life, if you respond to resuscitation efforts, it's usually within a couple of hours that you're going to code again. It's not something where they bring you back in the 24 hours, you do it again. Right. If your body's right. not doing the damn thing, your body's just not doing the damn thing. Exactly. <laughs> so for him to code 24 hours past the first time is so weird. Um, so we're going to move on from him. And Fuck we're that gonna... guy. <laughs> Next guy. I'm ready. So we're going to go to Gordon Stitt. And um, he, was, he was hospitalized as a post-op to repair an aneurysm. His first arrest happened a few hours after Meadows' second one. Was it still a respiratory arrest? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so everybody that I talk about is going into respiratory arrest. None of these are cardiac. Which is weird, because if anything with an aneurysm, you think you'd be going into cardiac. Exactly, yeah. Mm, um, I hate it. Yeah, mm, so mm -mm. he coded a few hours after um, Meadows' second code. Okay. Um, and same presentation as Meadows, and then he arrested again at 9.45 the following evening. So, so it's again, like Meadows, Meadows, him, yeah. him. Okay. Um, and then the last specific person that I'll talk about uh, is Bart Martin. Uh, he was hospital. <laughs> That's a great name. That flows I tried so really well. Hard. 
to gloss over it because I know how you are with names and you just didn't let me gloss over it. It's just, uh, it's just really satisfying. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. So uh, Martin was hospitalized in the CCU. Uh, he was fine. I feel like I should know what that is. CCU? Yeah. Uh, I think it's critical critical care unit oh duh that makes sense so i felt like, like it was something obvious it's like that limbo forgetting. between intensive care and regular hospitalization right that makes perfect sense um so he was fine and he had just finished his dinner and then suddenly coded uh his cardiac monitor showed no abnormalities during his arrest uh he was resuscitated successfully and he claimed to remember the entire thing he's got it he's got the evidence <laughs> so he says he remembers trying to call the nurse to his bed because his vision had gotten blurry. He then says he remembers hearing footsteps and voices as all the doctors and nurses came in, as well as the whole resuscitation process. Um, doctors didn't believe him at first. Right. Because this is super not normal. Like, if you are going into respiratory arrest... Yeah, they usually have no idea that they even yeah, did. Yeah, you don't yeah. know. Like, you almost immediately pass out because... Strangely enough, when there's no oxygen to your brain, your brain doesn't do the things. Yeah. Um, and what cued the doctors into him telling the truth and him actually remembering all of this was that he got frustrated with them. He's like, no, I remember this because I remember getting agitated because one of your no your nurses called me an old man. <laughs> all of yeah, the that, they're like, like, okay, yeah, that actually happened. Yeah, yeah I remember that. like, shit, he shouldn't know that. <laughs> um... So, the fact that he remembered everything is what clued the doctors into the fact that something abnormal was going on here. Right, um, yeah, that's not typical. Yeah. So, that same night, two other men coded in the same way, um, and one of them coded twice. In the span of July and August, there was a total of 35 respiratory arrests, and 10 of them were fatal. So, they were pretty, like... One yeah, after another like, after another. Going and going and going. Which was kind of another indicator for them that there was something abnormal going on. Right, that it was occurring like, so quickly after each other. Right. Like, respiratory arrests happen, but 35 in two months? Yeah, that's a lot. That's it's interesting because you can almost, like, literally track their steps through, like, the entire place. Like, they yeah. literally, like, they walked to this room, then they would have had to wait it out, come back to his room, go to the next. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, Anne Hill is the true queen in this whole story. Uh, she is an anesthesiologist <laughs> who figured out what was, what was going on. Okay. Uh, she looked go at the Anne charts. Hill. Yes, Anne Hill. True queen. Uh, she looked at the charts of all of the people who coded and found that the only common thread that any of them had was that they were all on IV fluids. Gotcha, gotcha, mm -hmm. gotcha. So someone poisoned the bags. Ding, ding, ding. Gotcha. Would you like to know what they were getting poisoned with? Uh. I can tell you. If I guess and I get it right, are you going to be mad at me? Um, yes, because I'm going to assume that that means you read my notes. I didn't read it. I don't know. <laughs> what is it? Um, so she found out that they were being poisoned with pavlon, which is, this is where I'm going to get super sciencey about it. Uh, it's pancreonium bromide, and it's basically a neuromuscular blocking agent. Oh, I was, I was just gonna say aspirin or something <laughs> stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been wrong. <laughs> uh, 
No, it's a it's a neuromuscular blocking agent, and it's the synthetic form of I think it's pronounced cure. Um, it's a plant derived from a toxin used by Native South Americans to make poison darts. <gasps> oh my god, are those the yeah like the I know exactly what you're talking about actually. So this drug is commonly used during tracheal intubation because it provides a skeletal muscle relaxation. So they can um, slide it down without exactly resistance without the gagging and the gosh reaction uh it's also one of three drugs given during euthanasias in humans oh Mm -hmm. so i mean they probably would have had it pretty available if they're using it for yeah yeah this is a the plot thickens (laughs) (laughs) this is a readily available (laughs) drug um so on the morning of august 15th their first patient coded and Dr. Hill, working off of her gut feeling that this was Pavilon, gave the patient the reversal. Gotcha. And she saved his ass. Yep. Uh, He returned to normal function without any sort of problems, uh, as did the next two patients that coded and received the reversal. So they had to have poisoned just the bags and not literally just be bouncing to these people's room. Because I feel like if they bounced to that many rooms, they'd get caught. You would think. You would think. Uh, I hate it already. <laughs> I hate it. Literally, why do they always do this? I feel like this happens a lot when you hear, like, um, people who, like, are arsonists, who are, like, chronic arsonists that end up working as, like, firefighters yeah. and stuff. Like, it's just, like, it, when you have a bunch of suspicious shit happening, literally, look, who is always there? Yeah. Because there's usually always one person going to be there. Yeah. Oh, why are they so dumb? I feel like a, a fair amount of these people go into fields where it's readily available for them to do it. I mean, Netflix has an entire series called Nurses That Kill. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it's, a it's lot not of that far-fetched. People just go into fields where, you know, things are readily available and they can do it for quite a while without getting caught. You know, that explains a lot of people from my high school who went into nursing. <laughs> <laughs> go off. <laughs> just calling out your whole class like that damn i'm sure there's some i'm sure there's lots of great ones <laughs> um so dr hill contacted the fbi who set up headquarters in the hospital and interviewed the 750 employees oh my god can we also say a quick prayer for those <laughs> fbi agents those poor poor men and women 750 people. That was just the employees. That's not including the the patients, their families. That's just the employees. I hate it. Oh, God. These poor FBI agents had a lot of work on their hands. Um, So, where things got interesting and blessed the whole ass FBI for this was... (laughs) Uh, like so obviously they can work off of this pavlon theory because right. the people that are coding and receiving the reversal drug are responding within minutes right um what they couldn't look at was if the people that had passed had traces of pavlon in their tissue because no such test existed like there oh. there's no reason for them to screen a dead body for that, for like, it's not something that, yeah. So, interesting. The FBI laboratory specifically developed a test 
literally just for this. Just for this case. <laughs> it's crazy. To test the bodies for traces of Pavlon. That's so weird. And I know you're going to be so shocked by this, but all of the bodies came back positive. <laughs> wow, I would have never guessed. I know. Never in a you're million so shocked. years. I, I can feel it in my soul how surprised <laughs> you are by that. <laughs> so now we're into the investigation. I've, I told you what was going on. It's Pavlov. You know, Got it. No bueno. Uh, so the FBI, you know, opened this huge investigation. Uh, one of the things they found was that none of the patients had official orders for Pavlon. So it had to be someone just giving it to yeah. them. Like, it wasn't a weird dosing thing or something. Yep. Um, it was, like I said before, there they determined that there was 38 patients that were administered Pavlon, and 10 of them were fatal. Right. Um, the FBI and the doctors determined that the pavlon was being injected undiluted, which is why it was causing respiratory arrest within seconds of being injected. Gotcha. Like, it took action immediately. Yeah. Because okay. usually what happens with pavlon, or at least from what I've worked with it, I don't know if maybe this has changed or whatever. Right. But we have, like, sterile bottles of uh, saline. Right, and you and take just a little bit of you, the... Yeah, you yeah. dilute it down into the saline bottle, and then, like, that's your bottle to work out of until it expires. Right, that makes sense. So, getting undiluted Babylon is why these people were just, like, immediately going into respiratory arrest. Right, it was probably double once, it'll kill them faster, but also, then you're not trying to carry around multiple bottles right, or right. try to transfer solution. You can just take the bottle of the drug and mm-hmm. do the damn um, thing. <laughs> just, just do the damn thing. <laughs> Um, so like I said, the FBI interviewed the 750 employees, uh, to find who had been with the patients minutes before they coded, and this boiled down to two nurses, uh, whose names I'm going to completely slaughter. Oh man. I'm Wait, sorry. where did the, oh yeah, this happened in Ann Arbor. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, is it foreign? What do, <laughs> they're just foreign? Uh, so the nurses were Filipina Narciso and Leonoro Perez. Leonora Perez. Let, oh, I'm just gonna stick with Narciso and Perez. Yeah, that. Uh, that <laughs> Please don't make me say those first names. Again. That is totally fine. <laughs> um, so one victim identified Narciso as the nurse who had been with him minutes beforehand. Um, and plot twist, he had a heart bypass surgery. Okay. During which he went into cardiac arrest and had to be resuscitated. Um, he suffered brain damage, and when the FBI tried to cross-examine him, his story changed. Oh, so they kind of lost their, like, star. And twist again. Uh, he then died prior to the trial, and his original identification of Narciso was ruled inadmissible in court. I mean, which honestly which just makes fair. sense. Yeah, it's pretty fair, but... But if you're an FBI oh. agent who has interviewed 750 plus people, And then you're, like, prime person. <laughs> uh, they poor man. damage during a bypass surgery and then die before they can be cross-examined. <sighs> I'd be so mad. Yeah, I'd be <laughs> pissed. Um, so, fortunately, the son of another patient was able to identify Perez as the nurse that was met... That was, quote... Messing with his dad's IV. Yeah, that's gonna do it for you there. And I was like, 
I think every single time I've had an IV, every nurse who has come in has just like touched it at least. Even though they're not doing anything, they just kind of reach over and just touch it and just leave. Right. You're like, okay, I'm sure that was helpful. Um, yeah, so, you know, he tried. It was the best of intentions. We can both testify to that after the next two days. <laughs> we can both testify to that without the next two days. We, yeah, that's fair. That is. We are in and out of doctors and hospitals and we're fine guys it's fine so everything is fine, fine. <laughs> um so in june of 1976 a federal grand jury indicated narcisto and perez on 10 counts of poisoning five counts of murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder which i don't understand these numbers at fucking all like 38 people were poisoned right 10 of them died but were 10 counts of poisoning, five counts of murder, and one count of conspiracy to commit murder? Can they just use, like... Well, I'm sure not all of them had people who could, like, testify. Especially the ones where the people died. Yeah. I will get to that, because this is... <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a clusterfuck. best quote that I've ever quoted. I'm ready. I am so ready. Uh, I love a good quote. <laughs> So the trial began in March of 1977, and it did not conclude until July of 1977. Um, it's actually kind of fast for such a big case, really. Yeah. It's just a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, it At the time, though, this was considered a pretty lengthy trial. Uh, yeah, I feel actually, like they really spread, like, spread. <laughs> sped through those bitches back yeah. in the day. Um, so they, they started the trial with 16 jurors, but by the end there was only 12 due to the length of the trial. Like, guys, we have a family. We can't fucking yeah. be here anymore. So, this is this is where my favorite quote comes in. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Are you so ready? I'm so ready. So, the prosecution admitted in their opening arguments that their case was primarily circumstantial evidence, or as they put it, quote, there is no smoking gun, or in this case, a dripping syringe, end quote. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know about that one, Chief. I don't know if that's just it kept from a lawyer standpoint. Correct me. <laughs> if you're a lawyer and you're listening to this, please correct me if I'm wrong. But it seems bad to lead your case with, um, well, we don't need no fucking shit. And we have very little proof. Uh, yeah, that's all. That's it. That's it. We don't have shit. I love that they started it with a pun. Like, there's I do no appreciate smoking the pun. gun, or in this case, a dripping syringe. Like, what? I support, I support the pun, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm for starting with a pun. I am less for starting with admitting you don't know anything. You, you mean that you shouldn't just be like, yeah, I don't know shit. This is fine. <laughs> this is fine. This is totally fine. Don't convict him, it's fine. Her. Yeah. Them. So, they did their best. They tried. Um, and to their defense, they actually did have um, about 89 witnesses, um, and 17 of those were medical experts of different fields, um, so there was people... Right, so there's some actually decently solid evidence. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, like, they had people from the manufacturing company of the IV lines that like testified that it takes two to three minutes for a drug to move through that IV line from right. a certain port. Hmm. 
So. I'm sure, yeah, they had some solid back yeah. so, like, backup. I, it was a lot of circumstantial evidence, but a lot of the circumstances kind of showed that Narciso and Perez were in the position to be the ones to injecting and then get right. away before the drug hit And what system. are the chances that there would be some mysterious, like, third person coincidentally at all of these? Right. Like, it's just not likely. Yeah, so the prosecution never attempted to establish a motive for the poisonings. Um, just because they couldn't, like, nobody could find one. Yeah, like, <laughs> they, I don't think there is one. It's just kind of like, yeah. we wanted to see if we could get away with none, it. None of these men had any sort of, like, there was no... No connection. Like, no. victim profile. Right. It was just, like, literally the only connection all of the victims had were that they were on IV fluids. Were they all guys? <clears throat> yes. But it's also a VA hospital. Oh, yeah. So, the, especially back then, like, they're yeah. gonna be all guys. A, a VA hospital in 1975. Right. <laughs> um, so, the, the, the prosecution has a whole quote about how any attempt to ascribe a motive would be speculative, and that's gonna be damaging to their case, and blah, blah, right. blah. Which, which they're, they're not, not wrong. wrong. Could you get out of my head, Kate? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so both Narciso and Perez made comments that they were like mad about the staff shortage at the hospital, and so a lot, like a lot of the press grabbed on to this one little thing, and they were like, "Oh, they were just trying to prove a point because they were short-staffed." Got like that people could uh, die because yeah. they were yeah that's dumb. I was like, um, I don't know about that one. Keep searching. I, I don't know if I buy into that, but um, since we're on the topic, yes, hospitals are severely short-staffed. <laughs> Please do something about it. Wait, I'm sure you're gonna say this, but I'm gonna ruin it anyways and ask. Um, so was it like both of them? Do they have evidence that it was both of them, or they just had evidence it could be either one of them, and they're like, yeah, let's just fucking um, see what sticks. So, they they tried to say that it was both of them, because... Because like, this doesn't seem like something they'd be, like, working together. And if yeah. they were working together, like, let's be real, two people can't keep a secret. Two people can keep a secret, but only if one of them is dead. So, that's how... That's the okay. saying! It's a saying! Okay, don't come for me. <laughs> no, I'm not... So they put them I'm against each other. I'm not coming for you. What that was, was the, um, the song... That's the title for uh, Pretty Little Liars immediately popped into my head. Because <laughs> that's one of the lyrics. So I was just trying to. I actually forgot about really that. Hard not to sing. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like they would have like turned on each other at some point. Yeah. Unless they really are just really good at keeping secrets. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, they're women, you know go off. Some of them are really good at keeping secrets and others not so much. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, so, oh gosh, sorry, my back itches. Um, so like I said, the, my dog's trying to hang himself on my cord. Just two seconds. Um, so yeah, the, the press grabbed onto that and we're trying to say that it was a, a dramatic demonstration to, you know, show that they needed more staff, but it was never officially used in court. Yeah, it doesn't really um, sound all that likely. Let's be yeah. real. So, uh, when the government rested its case, the lawyers for these two nurses kind of had a a bit of a decision to make. Because um, they could present a defense or just argue that the prosecution had jack shit to go off of. Right. Um, but they did decide 
that they apparently needed to do something because they not only presented a defense, but they cross-examined a lot of the defendants on the, um, or a lot of the witnesses. Okay. And put both of the nurses on the stand. Right. So, at the conclusion of the trial, um, you know, after all of the closing arguments and that fun stuff, the case was turned over to the 12 jurors that were left. Um, <laughs> Only 12. And the, the book that I read about this, for whatever reason, felt the need to specify the sexes of the jurors, so I guess I'll specify it to you. Uh, there was eight women and four men. Okay, I mean, that's kind of prevalent, because, like, women could be more sympathetic. True. Towards other women, or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention it at the beginning. Yeah, um, a fair amount of my research on this case came from the book um, Paralyzing Summer, and it it's just an investigative book about... I want to read that book case. now that you're done. Do it. It's so, it was actually really good. There was a lot of... A lot of fluffery... Because they had to explain all of the medical stuff. Right, yeah. So that's pretty common, though. If you already know the medical things, then you're going to be like, be prepared just to get skim. to the point. <laughs> so there's a lot of skimming on my end, but it, it was actually really good. It was very in-depth. So yeah, the, the jury deliberated for 13 days. Um, that's actually a pretty long time. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's a fair deliberation. Um, and this is where things start to get really kind of gross, for lack of a better descriptor. Um, so a fair amount of the jurors went into their deliberation believing that the two nurses were innocent. Um, and the press kind of grabbed onto this too, and there was a lot of kind of trying to spark like a racism debate, because um, the two nurses were Filipino. And so gotcha. some media outlets were just being like, oh, they, you know, did a really shitty investigation job and just wanted to And pinpointed the, the foreigners, yeah. yeah. So it, it kind of turned into a shit show. Um, and after the 13 days of deliberation, the jury found both Narciso and Perez guilty of three counts of poisoning and conspiracy to poison patients. Okay, so they so, got off decently yeah, easy, like, actually, for all the charges that they had. It's it's still kind of in the air about whether they did this or not. Like, this story doesn't really have a conclusion. There's some people that think they did. There's some people that think they didn't. Uh, um, yeah. I feel like I would have had to, like, be there in the courtroom to have right. a really, like, good decision. Yeah, so there's there's still kind of a... A little bit of leeway on either side about whether they did this. Yeah, usually at the end um, of a case, I'm like, yeah, I feel strongly whether, like, who I think did it, but, like, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm convinced either way. Yeah, so the the jury did not find the nurses guilty in all of the poisoning accounts, and they acquitted uh, Narciso on the one remaining murder count, um, which was... They basically just acquitted her because they didn't have enough evidence to say that she officially did it. Right. Um, and <laughs> there was major outrage after the conviction was released because there was a lot of supporters of these two nurses that were buying into this whole, like, you're just trying to pin it on the Latinas. Right, like the whole race or something. Yeah. Which... <laughs> It was 1975, and here we are in 2019 doing the same Yeah, shit. I mean, but it's, it's hard to tell, too, without, like, knowing everything. Uh, you know what I mean? Because it, it, you know, there's nothing to say that it wasn't. Right. 
so the the other part of this too is that the the public wasn't getting a fair representation of the case because the like a lot of the news reports were really incomplete just because right. there was so much medical jargon that they were kind of like just grabbing on the details that they understood and were like yeah this works and it's like no but like living out like things. big parts of the story right. um so like consequently very few people in the general public actually understood the prosecution's case right and like really <laughs> fully like actually understood what right. was going on yeah because like the media sucked and they just didn't do their research and were lazy and instead of you know understanding all of the medical jargon we're like yeah here's all of the bits that we do understand right this we'll, we'll totally just leave out all the sense. stuff that will actually make it make sense <laughs> yeah so a couple of months later uh the judge philip pratt ordered a retrial um because he was acknowledging the supporters outrage about like the misinformation um and he wrote quote the question is not whether they any actual wrong resulted but whether there was created oh gosh sorry this is worded really weird but whether there was created a condition from which the general public would suspect that the jury might be influenced to reach a verdict on the ground of bias or prejudice. That is worded kind of confusingly. Yeah. Basically, he was kind of with everybody else of like, this might be racist, but also nobody understood anything that the prosecution said. Right, <laughs> like no one knew enough to say what exactly was going on. Yeah. Um, so Judge Pratt went on to list several acts by the prosecution that the defense claimed were errors. Um, and he also said, quote, that no single claim of error raised by the defendants is sufficient to require a reversal. There is no dramatic moment of, um, prosecutorial misconduct. There was no, like, moment where they're like this, this is where they fucked up, like, this is what we need to fix. Yeah, it was just kind of, like, a general fuckery. Like, there was no, he wasn't able to pinpoint one way or another where things went wrong. It was just kind of, like, yeah, Uh, it was just kind of a mess. There might be some biases with the jurors, and, like, yeah, they're Latina, and, you know, a lot of the jurors were white, because it was 1975. It's a mess, and we don't really know what's happening. It was just a whole mess. Um, and a lot of, (laughs) strangely enough, not strangely enough, nobody's surprised by this. There was a lot of men claiming that with the jur like the jury being so female heavy. Right. Because like I said, there was eight females and four males. Right. That like you said earlier, They're the women were being sympathetic to, you know, the women nurses and were like, Well, we're not gonna charge them for anything. Well, I mean they still got a fair amount of charges though. I mean like I Get it. I feel like if you were on the opinion of, like, they did it, you would feel that they got off really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because he kind of started looking into this again, there was another long period of investigation um, and prosecution of this case, during which a new U.S. attorney was appointed, um, and this new attorney, James Robinson, decided not to retry the case. So... Gosh, so they just kind of got stuck with what they got stuck with. Yeah. Um, he, like, and he came in being aware of, like, the politics of the case, uh, and the public perception that the nurses were innocent, um, and he decided it was in the best interest of the government to not pursue a retrial. Right. Um, 
So they they stuck with the original conviction. Wow. Right. I could not worry. Words are hard. English is hard. It's hard. Um, which was that like I think like three counts of convicted poisoning and then conspiracy to poison. Right. Um and they I couldn't find anything on how much jail time they served, but they went to prison, they're now out. Yeah, I was gonna say it it's, probably wasn't. It's a, a really super unsatisfying time. case because it's not tied up in a really pretty bow. Like it's like, not like this is exactly who did it. This is yeah, exactly they like, got what they deserved. There's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot that could kind of go one way or the other. Um, yeah, that's a hard one. It makes me really want to read the book now. Like I really want to know. It was a really good book. I liked it a lot. I know my mom yeah, read the book because she. She has been bugging me nonstop to keep, like, she keeps texting me and she's like, you guys need to do a case where, like, it, it's not wrapped up in a pretty bow. So here's your case, Mom. So, here's your case that's not wrapped so up in a pretty bow. So what you're telling me is we should start a Patreon book club of the month. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, chip in on that idea, because that actually sounds kind of dope. Like, right? where we pick, like, a true crime book each month and, and we could like, do, like, an episode on, like, that. Yeah. I'm here for that idea. Yeah, Let's I'm here it. for that. Let me know if y'all are y'all, here for that. We're here for it. Let's, I'm here for it. Let's do it. Do it. Yeah, so that is the Ann Arbor VA hospital murders. The most unsatisfying case that so exists. So unsatisfying. I, huh. like, I was so interested in it when I first started this because I was like, oh, there's nurses killing people. That's so crazy. And then as I, like, finished my research, I was like, this was so unsatisfying. Right, like, that was like, not as, as convenient as I thought, or, like, as nice as I thought it was going to be. Like, there's, like, nobody wants to say one way or another if these nurses did it. Right. And, like I said, like, the media from back then was just a shit show because nobody understood what the prosecution was saying. Yeah, I mean, that still sounds pretty familiar. There was familiar. a lot of politics <laughs> because of, you know, the, the nurses being Latina and... There was, you know, all of the people being mad that the jurors were more female than male. And it was, like, just such a disaster. Yeah, it sounds like a clusterfuck at every Completely. point. So. I, yeah, I don't have any pretty bow to wrap that up in. I just. I do. Follow us <laughs> on all of the things. All of the things. Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, Patreon, Apple, all of the beautiful things are Bitches and Murders podcasts. With the exception of Twitter, because they don't like naughty words. And so that's that is just, just at and murders. Exactly. And Instagram is Bitches and Murders podcast with that beautiful little at sign in the front. And, uh, oh yeah, our business email, which yeah. is bnmurders podcast at gmail.com. But everyone seems to just like to Instagram DM us and, you know. Yeah. I'm fine with that, honestly. I'm down for it. Yeah, so So. stay spooky, but not so spooky that you're injecting people with undiluted pavlon. Yeah, not Not that spooky. Not that spooky. (laughs) That's too much spooks. Stop it.